get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 at KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, daily garden tips, lots of snark, lots of retweets. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on including uh, posts explaining the podcast situation. You want me to explain it to you? Okay. For those of you, and see, this this to me is the confusing part. I'm explaining to you where to find the podcast, even though you're listening to a radio broadcast, so you may not even listen to the podcast. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I tell people who listen to the podcast how they can find the podcast again? So you got to tell somebody, okay? All right. Here's the deal. They They've... You know how it is, as Judy McClure would say, why are you trying to reinvent the wheel? Well, they tried to reinvent the wheel with how they load the podcasts here. By the way, it's all Brooks fault here. He's running the board. He's he's not smiling, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, what you have to do is resubscribe to the podcasts. But they have slightly different names. And I know that sounds weird. So in the past... Let's say if you looked up on your podcast aggregator, if it's iTunes or Beyond Pod or whatever, and you were subscribed to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred show. All right. Now it's called Get Growing. All right. So what you need to do is go back to whatever third party podcast aggregator you're using and do a search for the term Get Growing and up will pop. A new listing of shows from July, the things that have been missing, okay? And you can tell that they're new because there's a new picture of me up there. How weird is that? I'll, I'm, I'll be in a blue shirt. So look for the guy in the blue shirt. Those are the new podcasts. Subscribe to that. You're up to date. With the KFBK Garden Show, it's the same thing. The old one was the KFBK Garden Show. The new one is KFBK Garden Show. No, the same is true with the KSTE Farm Hour. It used to be the KSTE Farm Hour. Now it's KSTE Farm Hour. No, the. I know this is weird. It's I, I can't explain it, but it's basically, you know, I don't know. But anyway, that's how you get around it. And I, I have all of these posted at Facebook, at Twitter. And at FarmerFred.com, you will have updated links, including links to iTunes. I've manually uploaded the new links to iTunes for the podcast. There. I was asked to explain that to you on the air today. There you go. And I didn't swear. I'm surprised. (laughs) I didn't swear. All right. Anyway, so the podcasts are available. I didn't die. I'm not on extended vacation. There are podcasts for the month of July. Aren't there, Brooks? Yes. Are they available at kste.com? Yes. Maybe. Okay. Are they available, say, at the iHeartRadio app? Yes. Okay, yeah, you're nodding your head yes, so it must be true, as well as your typical third-party podcast aggregators. There. I'm glad I explained that. On today's show, we're talking about Harvest Day. It's coming up at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center next Saturday. If I don't care how tough your garden question is, 
there's going to be somebody there who can answer it because the best of the best of the local horticultural industry is going to be there as well as a small army of master gardeners to answer your questions. And besides that, the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is just the best demonstration garden for our area to show you what you can do in your own yard. You've heard me rant and rave for years about quit growing fruit trees and grow fruit bushes. Basically, summer pruning. Keep your fruit trees no taller than six or seven feet. And you're thinking, yeah, then I only get four pieces of fruit. No, you'll get a full tree of fruit. And you'll see it at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center on Harvest Day. You've heard me you know, expound on the benefits of mulch. And you go, uh, that's ugly. Go to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. They got loads of mulch everywhere. Judy McClure, would you verify that? I will verify that. We have lots of mulch. And what's interesting is this year, for the first time in a long time, we're getting a lot of people bringing samples of fungi to the office that are growing Ooh, on their mulch. Fungus and among us. That's it. And they're scared. It scares them because it's kind of scary looking stuff. But it's fine. Don't worry about fungus on your, your mulch. Mulch, mulch, mulch. Including dog vomit? Oh. Dog vomit is one of them. We yeah. try not to use that word in the oh. office because it makes us giggle. But <laughs> but it's true. That's the name of it. It's called dog vomit v- fungus, and, uh-huh. and it looks like dog vomit. Yeah. Now, I do always like to give a disclaimer with the mulch now is make sure you leave a little bit of bare dirt so your native bees will have a place to nest. If we can delve, by the way, here in the studio with me, our master gardeners, Judy McClure, who is the coordinator or director or something at, at the Sacramento County Master Gardener office. She basically herds cats. Oh, well, you know, I'm meow. (laughs) I'm extremely fond of the volunteers. I'm not a cat person, so we'll just avoid that. (laughs) Okay. And Shannon Gordon is here. Now, we talk to Shannon every month on the telephone about upcoming events at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. But uh, apparently she needed more volunteer hours, so she's here today. Yeah, that's true. All right. Okay. Well, glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here, Fred. So if we can delve a little deeper into mulch, there's this interesting discussion now going on in local mulch circles about the type of mulch to use. And in the past, I've always been fond of, of bark as, as mulch. And uh, over the winter, as anybody who's listened to the show knows, I had 14 trees removed. Now, I didn't have them removed, removed. I had them cut down and then chipped and shredded. And I've used the chipped and shredded parts throughout my property. In, in fact, in the re-landscape of the backyard, some of the measurements, it turns out, were off because the mulch was over a foot deep oh, in my oh, backyard. Wow. But however, having that mulch in the backyard for several months killed off the Bermuda grass. Oh, it smothered it? It smothered it, yeah. Nice. It's gone, and it hasn't reappeared. Is it already starting to break down and improve your soil? We had to move it off so they could work on the yard, and now I put it back on. And now I need more. So, but I found that chipped and shredded tree parts work, I think, a little better than bark. Oh, I, oh. much better. Much better. And it's a I lot cheaper. So too. And right now, it's all those trees that died during the drought were able to use those resources instead of taking those chips to the dump. So, Well, now that brings up an interesting question. Chipped and shredded tree parts from a diseased tree, is that appropriate for mulch? Uh, generally speaking, it's fine. Every once in a while, you'll have trouble with a specific disease, but the specialists indicate that the shredders do such a fine job of chipping things up, they destroy 
the organisms and the insects. Okay. And uh, like I say, if you're looking, if you have the time and you want to kill Bermuda grass, just smother it with a foot of mulch and come back a few months later and it'll be gone. But, and the, and I live in now in, in as people know, in suburban purgatory, uh, Folsom, and every yard is on a slope. Slope. There's a lot of slopes. Bark doesn't hold too well on slopes. If you got the if you got the chunks, that doesn't hold well. It tends to blow off or run off in the rain. Whereas chipped and shredded tree parts, on the other hand, tend to knit better together and stay in place. They do, but you still probably need to do a little bit of trellising. Not trellising. I'm sorry. Ter- terracing. <laughs> That'd be interesting. <laughs> uh, terracing. Yeah. You know. Uh, flat surfaces every once in a while and making sure that your grade's slightly lower than your sidewalk edge. Yes, there is. Yes. And or putting in some sort of barrier at the sidewalk. True. Yeah. As I discovered in Folsom, basically to keep all the neighborhood dogs from peeing on your lawn. And of course, you know, if you're doing re-landscaping, hopefully you're doing some water retention on your property, too. Yes. So the, the water that's flowing down your landscape's not going to go to the street right away. So it's going to stop, capture some of the water and capture some of that mulch. And, well, in, in our particular situation, the slope goes from the front yard to the backyard downhill. So what we did in redesigning, and this is why I basically did the redesign of the landscape, was to improve the drainage. And Because I got sick of water going in the garage every time it rained. Oh. So total redesign includes three-inch hard pipes to move that water around the sides of the house, not dumping it underneath the house, which is what was happening previously, mm-hmm. but around the house to the far corners of the backyard where we dug sumps, and that's where the water goes. And I congratulate you on digging the sumps instead of just letting it go to your neighbor's yard and creating a problem for them. So that's very neighbor-conscious of you. My neighbor back there has had to contend with that for years, and and he put in his own French drain to move the water that came down, but I wanted to do the right thing. Now, one thing I've noticed, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but in walking around Folsom, around the neighborhoods where there are people who live on slopes, a lot of them have this inch-and-a-half pipe or so at the edge of their lawn that's open that meets the sidewalk and then leads to the gutter of the street. And every now and then, water will come regurgitating out of that pipe and going into the gutter. And I got to believe it's people who are moving water from downhill to out to the street to get rid of it. It's probably that, and plus also if they're draining anything off their hot tubs or their spas, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, their swimming pools, there's that too. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes those pipes will be multiple properties tied in together, working downhill. Ah. Uh, Many years ago, the Master Gardeners did a water quality project with the university in Folsom areas where a lot of the properties were on slope, and the water runoff was just staggering. About 24 hours a day. Yeah. No, I believe it. And it's, uh, I, I found it interesting that uh, the city would even allow that. I don't know that there's, well, they're doing a lot to educate. Yeah. The water department in Folsom has been phenomenal with their education. I think it, to, to tie this back to Harvest Day, uh, isn't uh, the Folsom Water District is not going to be there or will be there? This was the first year they will not be there in many years. However, um, they have done such a wonderful job of educating master gardeners over the years because we've done a lot of advanced training with Jan Famstead and Don Smith from the city of Folsom that I think we'll be able to temporarily fill the gap. Uh, there, When we come back, let's talk about a lot of the agencies and groups 
that will be out at Harvest Day. Not only educational tables, but Shannon vendors, too. Yes. All right. We'll talk about that. When we, oh, I'm getting nasty questions I see on the phone list here from Folsom. More <laughs> more get growing on Uh-oh. the way on Talk 650 KSDE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Coming up at 11, the Garden Grappler. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. A clue available at FarmerFred.com. In the studio with me from the Sacramento County Master Gardener Office, Judy McClure, Shannon Gordon are here. And joining us on the telephone... The vegetable person, so to speak, at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, Gail Potauer. Hi, Gail. Good morning, Fred. Gail, what what are you going to be doing at Harvest Day next Saturday out there near the raised beds and the hay bales? Well, straw bales. Straw bales. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that I'm was a test. Everybody on that. The you straw passed, bales. Gail. Yay. <laughs> well, we have the usual kitchen garden vegetables that we grow every year, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, squash, beans. Um, a lot of them are grown up on trellises to get them up off the ground, so we have things on bamboo teepees and trellises and cages and wooden ladders so people can see how to get their vegetables growing up rather than taking up a lot of real estate in the garden. We also have one bed that's devoted to the slow food arc of taste. We've done that the last several years. And um, then we also have a bed that is dedicated to providing produce to the River City Food Bank. You got to explain to me what the slow food arc of taste is. <laughs> okay, slow food arc of taste. Kind of think opposite of fast food. It's uh, a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to preserving regional cuisine and promoting local farming. All right, so you have like Merlino's freezes there? Well, I, wouldn't I wish? Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the missions is the arc of taste. And what the Ark of Taste does is they try to save endangered foods by bringing attention to them. So if you think like the Cherokee purple tomato that we all love, that is actually listed on the Slow Food Ark of Taste because at one point it was endangered. Now it's become quite popular and you can find it most anywhere. So we do have one bed that we devote to those sorts of vegetables. All right. And then we also have a big problem with fusarium wilt in our raised beds. So this year we are devoting one bed to hybrid tomatoes that have disease resistance, particularly fusarium and verticillium and nematodes. And so we have six varieties that are growing in there. And then we also have straw bales. That's quite a popular uh, demonstration that we have out there. And you were out there a couple open gardens ago, and they were doing very well. We have dwarf tomatoes in them this year, and the plants were doing great when you were out there. They have sort of declined now. We feel that we have fusarium in the straw bales. So um, so how does fusarium get into a straw bale? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. We actually grew six dwarf tomatoes in the straw bales last year and got fusarium. We had it confirmed by the state lab. So we thought, okay, we'll do it again this year. We will take every precaution to imp- be sure that everything is sanitized, so we haven't some way accidentally contaminated the bale. So sterile potting soil, sterilized containers, we sterilize and disinfect our tools if we work out there. 
and it seems to have struck again. So this has been an ongoing kind of a research education project for us to find out how a soil-borne disease can infect straw bales that have no garden soil. But they do. Don't they have a little bit of compost in them? Uh, no compost. Um, when I put in the plants, I healed them in with sterile potting soil. Mm. When I started the seeds, it was sterile seed starting mix. Sanitize the containers they were grown in. And so it's, it's a mystery to us. We do intend on taking uh, at least one of the plants to the state lab after harvest day and have it confirmed, yes or no, it's fusarium, along with one of the hybrid tomatoes that have fusarium resistance looks like it has fusarium. So we'll take that one in as well. And also the third plant we'll probably take in is an heirloom tomato that's in the slow food arc of taste bed. All of those plants have just suddenly declined in the last month. Now, for those who are scratching their heads going, what the heck is this fusarium you're talking about? Usually what happens with fusarium wilt, the tomato plant will turn yellow on one side, then spreads to the rest of the plant. And if you did a cross-section of the main stem at the base, uh, the base is usually a dark red instead of a healthy ivory color. And that's one of the ways you can tell if it's got fusarium or not. The, the uh, cross-section of the stem will show a darkened color instead of a nice ivory color. And one of the solutions has always been to plant a, a, a variety that has VFN listed on the label. That would be resistance to verticillium, fusarium, and nematodes. But you're saying that you found some fusarium-resistant tomatoes that got fusarium. Yeah, one of the varieties um, seems to be having the same problem. We won't know until we take the plant out and cut the stem. Um, but we anticipate that it's going to be a fusarium issue. We did remove two plants from the straw bales already, and we did cut the, the stem down near the soil line, and they did have that browning. Now, what about any solarization of the soil? Are you doing that? We are. We have one bed every year that we dedicate to a soil solarization demonstration because that is one way to at least live with fusarium in your soil. It kind of will get rid, not get rid of it, but you might get a season of growth the next year after you solarize before the fusarium rears its ugly head. Well, um, the, the one bed that we have the slow food arc of taste in, where we have an heirloom tomato that seems to have fusarium, that was accidentally solarized two years in a row. So we thought, well, that's the perfect bed to put an heirloom tomato in. And it did well until just about three or four weeks ago. Wow. It just suddenly is collapsing. So, so we will have educational signs up at Harvest Day. Oh, we want to show home gardeners that we have the same problems you have at home. And we will um, talk about, you know, what the symptoms are, and we'll have management uh, information on the signage as well. Which probably includes removing the old plants and getting rid of them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. As I say, we did remove two of them from the straw bales already. We wanted to leave one just to show home gardeners, but it looks like most of the plants in the straw bales are exhibiting some yellowing so we'll see it's always a challenge well gail now give us a success story that people will see next saturday at harvest day in the vegetables a success story we have had great luck with melons um we have in one of our kitchen gardens we have some charente melons and they're doing great we have had real success in growing in wine barrels we have different vegetables and herbs in wine barrels 
and uh, we have a horse trough that has some flowers and herbs in it. So we've had, um, actually have had pretty good luck this year, have not had too many insect issues. We did find our first leaf-footed bugs yesterday, and squash bugs appeared, I think it was last week, but they haven't been causing too much damage. So we've actually had pretty good luck out there this year, despite the July of extreme heat. Gail, you talk like a farmer. I do. (laughs) I am a farmer. She is a farmer. (laughs) All right. Gail, thanks so much for your time. We'll see you out at Harvest Day at the Ferrell's Horticulture Center next Saturday over in the raised bed vegetables and and the straw bales. See you then, Fred. (laughs) All right, Gail. That's Gail, Master Gardener Gail Potthour. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as we mentioned over on the KFBK Garden Show, there are successes, there are failures, and at the Harvest Festival, as well as year-round at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. If there's a problem, it's labeled. They tell you what the problem is and what they're doing about it. We do that um, because we're learning and we want the public to learn, too. But one of the things I'd like to say about the fusarium, if you do have a plant at home you think has it, we can help you get that identified. If you bring it to Harvest Day, please put it in a bag and seal the bag. Now, what, what, what do they bring? Well, bring as much of the plant as you possibly can because it may not be fusarium wilt. Um, if you can bring the roots and the stem mm. and good foliage and bad foliage. Yeah, if you can, if, if you want to sacrifice the plant, dig it out of the ground, maybe cut it off a foot or a foot and a half above the soil line, put that in a big bag and bring it in because sometimes the problems you, are on the roots. Right. And also if you, if you decide to dispose of the plant, do not put it in the compost pile. Thank put you. it in your yes. green waste can. Actually, I think you're supposed to put it in your regular trash yeah, can. Yeah, put it in regular trash. Yeah, regular trash. Uh, and if people bring these diseased plants to you, do you have a place to put them? We put them right in the uh, trash can. We have a, um, actually, Atlas Disposal is one of our sponsors this year. We'll have plenty of trash cans throughout the horticulture center. Water? You're going to have water? We Our vendors will be selling water. Okay. All right. Yes. That's good. And shade for the speakers. Lots of shade. Yes. Lots speakers. of shade. And a lot of happy campers. Well, happy gardeners. Yes. A lot of happy people out there. <laughs> no camping, Judy. No, no. no. <laughs> okay. We'll take a short break. More of Get Growing on the Way. Thank you for holding with your questions, Joe and Meadow Vista and Sue and America Canyon. We'll get to your questions when we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. A warm one on tap for Sacramento and most of northern and central California here in the capital city. The high today, 101, 102 on Monday, Tuesday, 104, Wednesday, 103, and then cooling Thursday, just 99. Saturday, just 99. So there, no triple digits to contend with at Harvest Day next Saturday, especially if you get there early. Get there early. It's open from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Judy McClure, Shannon Gordon are here to take the pressure off me for answering garden questions that you're phoning in to 5761KST or 866-331-8255. Joe up in Meadow Vista, thanks for hanging in there. How are you? Very well, Fred. What's up? Yes, I have a fig uh, that I got from a cutting from a 60-year-old uh, fig tree from my neighbor. And over the past, uh, since I planted it over eight years ago, uh, it has matured and bears fruit. But the fruit 
inside uh, comes uh, is very dry. It looks like a, a infestation of some sort. And I found out this year that uh, there's problems. Uh, uh, I got this information from Isley's Nursery, and several of their uh, customers are exhibiting the same problem, where the fruit is just uh, matures, but inside it's just super dry. Yeah, no, I'm hearing I'm hearing that a lot too, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the times it has to do with watering and the drought, mm. and it, it could be the result of that. Despite uh, the wet weather that we uh, had over the winter, the uh-huh. tree still had to go through four years of drought, and there are uh, a lot of figs that are exhibiting the exact symptoms that you're talking about mm-hmm. with uh, that. And if it's just a function of the weather, then basically, I guess Judy really fig trees, even though they're touted to be drought tolerant uh, they will produce better fruit if you do give them uh, regular water maybe once a month or so in the summer months they do have a deep root system and they um, do retain water well Um, i have also heard the dry fruit can be due to heat spikes Mm -hmm. in the weather but i've never read that anywhere it one of the solutions for that too, and this is just good advice. And one thing I always like mentioning is to mulch around the tree. Oh, absolutely! Mm-hmm. And having four to six inches of a cor- of a coarse mulch, uh, chipped shredded uh, tree branches uh, in particular, can do well to maintain soil moisture and also moderate soil temperature. Yeah, well, I have a uh, a one foot long uh, moisture probe. And I put it around there, and and it registers uh, between 8 and 10 Hmm. uh, all the time. And it's been doing that for years. I talked to a master gardener there uh, at the field uh, last year, and several of them could not come up with an answer. And one of the fellows in the the fruit uh, area where they had the fruit trees mentioned that it's possibly a, uh, a moth that hits the young uh, buds when they're coming out in the, uh, you know, in the, in the very early spring. Uh, two weeks ago, I took the fruit down to Isley's. They opened it up, and the lady did discover it, what it looked like uh, uh, droppings from a bug inside and a little black bug, which she could not identify. She had the ortho book trying to get information on figs and this problem and uh, none. So, uh, did did she find a larva in there at all, or a poop? Not the larva, just uh, the droppings, and then she found uh, just uh, a black, small black bug. She showed it to me because she ran out in the parking lot, think I was I was leaving, and she was so excited <laughs> that uh, and she discovered it, you know, with a magnifying glass. Well, there is a beetle that gets in figs, but I don't know that we have it around here. I'm not saying we don't, but mm-hmm. I would like to see a sample of that. I know. You know what Joe could do is oh, Joe. Yeah, they're all all the figs are gone now. They just dried up. Uh, oh. they're, they're that, but I do have pictures. Well, uh, at, of the fruit, but not of the bug yeah, or the dropping. At harvest that. day next Saturday, the the experts from Dave Wilson Nursery are going to be there, and over uh, at the Four Winds Growers booth, Ed Livo is going to be there, and he's a, a, mm-hmm. a fabulous fig grower as well. There are going to be mm-hmm. people there who have more ideas. On what is causing, and it's not just your problem, Joe. It's a lot of people mm-hmm. who are suffering through dry figs, but especially mm-hmm. it was from the Breba crop earlier this year. I haven't heard too many complaints about the main crop of figs. Mm-hmm. 
So, it, like I say, this could be drought-related. It could be mm-hmm. wet winter-related. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when trees go through boom-bust cycles of irrigation like that, that can lead to problems. Mm-hmm. But if you can make it to Harvest Day next mm-hmm. Saturday, okay. there's going to be plenty of people where you're gonna, your brain will be floating with all sorts of ideas. And we right. do have fig trees in the orchard. And we haven't heard that we're having any kind of issue. Now you're bragging. <laughs> you know, if you do think you do have an insect on your figs, um, do a, a good search of your mulch under the tree and make sure you're picking mm-hmm. up any fruit that's dropped. Because um, yeah, yeah, you do yeah. not want to give a environment for overwintering of any insects down there. Yeah, no, end up very well. No bad and bug the, hotels. Oh. Yeah, and, and, and the tree that it was taken from... Uh, it's like a 50-, 60-year-old fig tree, and the lady up there never never waters. She never watered, and even during the dry season, we would go up there and we would pick the figs because we make a uh, big uh, jam out of it. And uh, and this is during the dry season. You know, a few yeah. years back, we'd go up, and, and this is loaded with figs. Well, there you go. You, you've, loved the so treated, you've loved the tree to death, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll see if I can make it to that uh, yeah. Until, uh, next week, but uh, thank you for your concern. And uh, we'll keep scratching our heads on this one, Joe. Don't worry, you're, right, you're not okay. alone. All right, bye bye, Joe. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Let's go to American Canyon. Talk with Sue. She's too good to live Hi, in Folsom. She's too good to live in Folsom. She lives in American Canyon. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Is that like Gold River and yeah, Rancho yeah, Cordova? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about. Um, oleanders okay and i i only know like the regular size i want to get uh planting a row of them um i only know the large size you know like the regular size and then the dwarf is there anything in between and is there several kinds of white or is there just one the the white the white one what's the name of the white one Queen Anne or Queen something and it does get huge and it does grow fast and if you're looking for a fast growing wide spreading oleander that white flowered variety does uh, very well in our area uh, as far as smaller oleander varieties go good question how's <laughs> that for an answer now I have seen oleanders that are growing in a row in a home landscape where you will have the same exact variety growing at different heights and different widths so I think huh. it's just a fluke of the, the the propagation process I have seen white varieties that are smaller and Fred have seen them that are taller yeah there are there is a whole line of uh, eight foot tall oleanders which is pretty small for an oleander they're dwarf cultivars and most of them have the word petite in it like petite salmon okay. so, so if you're looking for uh, something that does tend to grow smaller that might be uh, one thing to look for no i wonder no, you can't think of a specific name of one of the smaller ones well huh? the petite salmon oh, but i need it white is that white? oh you need white <laughs> petite white yeah <laughs> White. I'm going to have to work on that one. Now, I'm wondering in Folsom, with the heavier soil out there, are the oleanders going to tend to grow now, smaller? Not all soil in, in Folsom is bad soil. No, I didn't say bad. I, I know, rocky. Yeah, it's rocky <laughs> soil. Okay. Uh, no, there there's actually some deeper soils there. It, all gardening is local, Judy. Okay, so the, the oleanders aren't going to grow any different there than anywhere else. I have not seen. I am actually amazed at the plant growth that riding my bike around Folsom that I see. 
that it's amazing. Okay. That I, I don't see any dwarfing going on or any sort of uh, resistance to uh, becoming as big as possible. I also have another question for you, if I could. Um, you guys were just at, uh, talking about it could be in the roots and so forth with the gentleman with the figs. I have a, uh, what is it, Twisted Baby or Curly Willow. I think it's part of the Locust family. And for years now, uh, probably three, I've been losing. The the tree will leaf out, and it's really pretty. And then sure as heck, I lose uh, a whole branch. And the gentleman at the local nursery said to treat the soil, which I did. I've treated it several times. And then I've also sprayed the bark. But I just noticed the other day, and it was all leafed out, and here goes another branch gone again. Am I going to lose the whole tree? Did he tell you what you were spraying on there and what you were spraying for? Uh, he thought it was like microbial coming up through the roots into the tree itself. Uh, and then I've also heard that it's not uncommon for these twisted, um, I guess, like I said, I guess it's a locust, I don't know, um, to, to have this happen where they get diseased. I have some guesses, but none of them in, involve putting chemicals on the plants. Uh, so I don't okay. want to say that the nursery led you wrong because we'd have to see the plant and identify the exact problem. But it sounds to me more like a a root rot or um, a verticillium wilt yeah. or something along those lines um, where you actually have dieback of a whole branch. Is that what you have? Yeah, where I literally have to saw off the branch. And in yeah. the rest of the tree looks fairly healthy. Yes. And we have an answer to your white flowered dwarf oleander question oh, and, good. and I'm, I'm surprised Jeff Gravish hasn't emailed me from Bothing Treeland Farms because they sell a dwarf white sands uh, white oleander that gets uh, only three to six feet tall and wide and it's called Perfect. Dwarf White Sands and uh, our, our next guest that we'll be talking to in a few minutes, Quentin Young uh, who works at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, and they may even have it in stock there uh, mentions the white sands dwarf oleander Great. Okay. So there. I'm, now, I'm, now, is root rot when you're talking about the twisted one? Is that possibly from too much water? Well, yeah. It, well, it's from too much water in soil that doesn't drain well. Ah. Did you just say her fulsome soil is bad? No, I didn't. I just <laughs> said that uh, all gardening is local. <laughs> it depends okay, where it's so. located. That's yeah. funny because I keep trying to water it more, thinking I need to push out whatever in there. Not if that water has no place to go, and the roots need air. A lot of people yeah. forget that when you overload a soil with water, that's the problem. Now, the previous caller mentioned he uh, he checks the soil for moisture. Uh, if you don't yeah. have a soil probe, use a shovel or a um, hand trowel and dig down in there before you water next time and see how wet the soil is go down a good okay. 12 inches out near the root yeah. zone and see how things look because the top may look dry but it may right. be very yeah. wet under and sue so okay. we, we have to run here because brooks is giving me a dirty look much. All right. Thanks for calling. We'll take a short okay. break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Master Gardener Quentin Young out at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, who will probably tell us more about the White Sands Dwarf Oleander, as well as what's going on at the orchard in the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're
are listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Judy McClure is here. Shannon Gordon are here, Sacramento County Master Gardeners. We're talking about Harvest Day at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center next Saturday, August 5th, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Also there, and he'll be in the orchard, is Quentin Young, who, who may be hard at work right now at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. I'm not sure. But uh, he, he knew that they do carry, or that, uh, yeah, he, they, that Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery does carry the White Sands Dwarf Oleander. Thank you for that, Quentin. Hi, Quentin. Oh, hey. Hey, Fred. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to wake you up. <laughs> but thanks hey, for the information. Yes, yeah, we do have it in stock. Okay, the Dwarf White Sands White Oleander, three three feet to six feet tall and wide is that yeah about true? that and we have another another one that's called petite pillar cream that actually is a really nice color combination we have one of those too well, or a col- couple of those is that cream colored i guess yeah sort of okay. a cream pink even orange apricot color all right now let's talk about what's going on at the orchard at the, the fair oaks horticulture center what are people going to see there next saturday boy they're going to see all kinds of stuff i mean we're going to have all our fruit trees um pruned correctly you'll see how we've done all of, all of our fruit thinning um you'll see how we've done sort of protection from some of this heat you'll see how we irrigate you'll see all kinds of stuff what is it with this trend i'm seeing around of people putting out umbrellas in their yard it's like they're protecting plants yeah when we have these 105 days you know you're going to get leaf scorched regardless i think of whatever kind of tree you have so you know we were putting up shade cloths to protect our avocados because it was just getting too hot you know, who somebody emailed me that they 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 want an update on the avocado situation at uh, the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Um, so yeah, if they come to the um, harvest day, they'll see the update. But we do have a little avocado in a barrel, and we have the holiday avocado that's planted in the ground. And um, both of them, we've had to, like I said, we've had to protect uh, from this high heat with with a shade cloth. Not to mention a cold winter. Yes, cold winter and a wet winter, and that was part of the reason we lost the two papayas. Um, so we've sw- actually switched those out, and now we have a cherimoya and uh, a South African guava and a Chilean guava, and we're going to see how those do this year. Because why not? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, are the avocados alive? Uh, they are. Okay. Yes, they're, they're, um, the little cotto is doing okay. The holiday was struggling, and we think it was because of the heat. We didn't protect it enough when we had these the first couple waves of, of really hot weather, and they got really scorched and dried out. Now, you mentioned you've been pruning the fruit trees, and this is a concept that old-time gardeners may be wondering about. It's called summer pruning, and this is a great way to keep trees at a height that you can reach things without a ladder by keeping them at six or seven feet tall, and that way... Uh, all the fruit is for you it's not for the birds exactly yeah and you can come and you can see a really good progression of ages we have a, a pluary as it's called a sweet treat pluary that we planted in 2016 and you can see how we sort of whacked it off at knee level and then we've we've created this open uh, branch structure for easy harvest and to get sunlight into the center and then when you walk over to the picatum um, that we planted in 2013 you can see that same structure, but see what it looks like, um, you know, four years later. And then right next to it, we have a Larota plum that we planted in 1998, and it's basically the exact same height as the two other trees I mentioned. And you can see how we keep them at that same level consistently so they're easy to harvest. So when people think, I I want some fruit trees, but I don't have room, I bet they would have room then for fruit bushes, which is basically a tree pruned down to a, a manageable height. 
Yeah, and you can see that with the pluary, the picotum, the plum. We also have it done with the Asian pear, and we also have it done that we've got what we call a hedgerow, but it's basically same concept, fruit fruit bushes, and we've got a flavorosa pluot, a flavor grenade pluot, and a geopride pluot, and all those were planted in 2005, and you can see, again, they're all at, um, at you know, you can reach it with your arm at the top of the tree because we want to be able to harvest them easily. Are there any varieties that do not take well? to this sort of pruning? Uh, I would say no. I mean, we, we have the genetic dwarf peaches and nectarines. Those do well. We keep all of our citrus at a manageable height. Um, so far, we haven't had a problem. Maybe on some of the, the larger scale figs, um, you, you, might, you might have... You know, you might have to be fairly consistent on how you prune them, but we've had no problem with keeping all of our fruit trees at a manageable height. And does that include avocados? Uh, it, it should, and that's what we're experimenting with. All right. And you can find out all these experiments at uh, Harvest Day next Saturday at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Look for Quentin. He'll be out there in the orchard and marvel at all these fruit trees that are festooned with fruit, and yet the tree is only six or seven feet tall. It's amazing. And, uh, Quentin, always good talking with you, and uh, we'll see you out at Harvest Day. All right. Thanks, Fred. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate okay. it. All right. Bye. Yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, great areas there at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center that you want to take advantage of and check out next Saturday. Judy will be roaming around. Shannon will be ro- uh, roaming around, too. But actually, Shannon, uh, you're, you're going to be uh, near the calendars. Um, Maybe. F- for part of the time, yeah. I will. Yeah. Yes. Because the new calendar is and out. Here's the thing. It's the 2018 Gardening Guide and Calendar, and it is just hot off the press. And Harvest Day next Saturday will be our very first sales. So be the first on your block. This would make a good Garden Grappler prize. And, oh, it's it's gorgeous. Mm, Maybe I'll make a note of that. And it's Mm. got great information. All right. We'll talk more about that and also more about what's happening out at Harvest Day when we come back. Plus, a garden grappler, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Uh, Clue available at FarmerFred.com. So we'll do that uh, during hour number two of Get Growing. Judy and Shannon will be with us from 11 to 1130 as well as we continue with Get Growing here on Talk 650 KSTE. Continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you're up on your fruit bushes. We were just talking about them 10, 15 minutes ago. Unless you've been chugging Bloody Marys and downing it with mimosas on the side, you'll probably remember a few of these fruit bushes we were talking about. Yeah. So name a fruit bush. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. The numbers to call in, 576-1578, here in the 916 area code. 576-1578. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Name a fruit bush. All right. Judy and Shannon are here. Judy McClure, Shannon Gordon. They will be the official judges and hanging juries for today's competition. Brooks, are you ready in there? Ready, Freddy. Brooks is ready. You do not look like a Freddy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't get me started on that one. 
please don't. Um, where are we? The Garden Grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Name a fruit bush. Meanwhile, while you're thinking about that, let's uh, delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. And Rob writes in, he has spots on his peaches. He says, this year I have white patches on my 15-year-old Fay Alberta peaches. They're not fuzzy, but looks like sunburn to me. My wife is concerned we shouldn't eat them. Can you help determine what it is? And Rob is in Cameron Park. Thanks for listing where you live. And we're looking at the pictures. And here, I'll hold it up to the microphone so you can see it at home. And, you know, you look at it and you go, oh, is that some sort of mildew? But actually, it could be sunburn, could be insect damage, couldn't it? It looks a lot like sunburn. It's kind of hard to tell in the photo. The coloring doesn't look quite right. But that could, of course, be the the computer screen it does a couple of the smaller spots look like stink bugs that's right stink bugs are a are they a rasping sucking or just a sucking insect okay all right and anyway it, it hits the fruit when it's young but as a result the spot where they were sucking on tends to grow as the fruit grows and so that spot gets bigger and it gets a little hard yeah it'll be a little bit harder too now rob doesn't mention in this whether these are hard or soft spots or whatever but i, I kind of think if you just cut off the damaged portions it'll be fine to eat oh it'll be absolutely fine the only time it wouldn't be is if you did have some mold growing um, one of the photos kind of looks like it has a little bit of fuzz on it, mm-hmm. the underneath peach. It looks like possibly, too, back in May, the peaches were not thinned quite strongly enough. It's very hard to thin peaches. Thin your fruit, Rob. <laughs> yeah, no, it, the, the picture he sent, it shows in the space of, you know, a square foot, about six pieces of fruit. And you want to thin fruit like peaches Uh, So that there's about six inches of space between each piece of fruit. Ideal time to do that is when they're smaller, like in April. And really the big problem, uh, most people don't have a problem with smaller fruit, which is one of the results of having too much fruit. But the bigger problem is that's a lot of weight on a branch and the branch could break. It, it will break, and also some of the fruit trees are cyclical. They will, if you have a heavy crop one year, it lightens the crop the following year. So it takes a lot out of a plant. And when we do, do have um, fruit thinning at open gardens at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, people just gasp. It's really hard for people to yeah. thin fruit. It, you think about the mature size of a peach the same way you would think about a mature size of a shrub when you select how many shrubs you're going to put in a planter. You plant for the mature size, not the size of a one-gallon can. You're not talking like a landscaper. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to make a profit here today. Yes, okay. Exactly. The, the point is you'd be better off in the long run, and you're going to save a lot of money too, if you space your plants whenever you're planting a new area according to how much space they're going to need when fully grown. Now, I used to earn my living as a pruner. I love to prune. And so I used to kind of like it. Oh, people overplanted. I can make more money today. But in the long run, it's not good for the plant. And the plant doesn't look as nice when you have to do all that pruning. Now, that brings up an interesting question that our our friend Dan Vieira asks. Is there anybody in the area who does shrub pruning for a living? That it's hard to find nowadays, very yeah. hard. And I've, um, as I've gotten older and wiser. <laughs> and I stayed work, off ladders. And stayed off ladders. I now work in an office full time and don't do it for a living anymore. 
but it's it's a it's an art form mm-hmm. it, and it's also very good for your mental stability that was where i got my therapy also yes <laughs> I, I am fond of telling the story of a friend of mine whose father used to be a vice president at aerojet a very high stress job and on very stressful days he would come home Fire up the chainsaw. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. That's not pruning. <laughs> and hack back his rose bushes. <laughs> oh. Now, rose bushes are probably the most forgiving plant in nature. And, and they came back all the time. But that's how he got his aggressions out. So, so, so there's that. Now, while Brooks is lining up people for today's garden grappler, which is name a fruit bush... And people are phoning in answers to 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Shannon Gordon... Now, what we mentioned that there will be grapes for sale, grape vines for sale. Yes. There will be the new 2018 gardening guide and calendar for sale yes. at Harvest Day. For $10. And what else? And there will also be worm bins for $25. And the worm bins include the bin, the bedding, and a family slash community of worms. How many worms in a family? Quite a few. How much does a family of worms weigh? It depends. <laughs> oh, you are so fun. Depends on how much they had for breakfast. And um, no worms will be harmed on harvest day. They're all kept in the shade, so um, that'll be a good thing. All right. I, from what I know about vermicomposting, whenever you're starting with a, a worm bin, you start with, I think it's one pound of worms. Does that sound right? I don't know about the weight, but we, we usually recommend for the size of the bins we sell a good um, handful. I believe they put them in the small um, food containers. Mm-hmm. So if you have a good size handful, you're going to have plenty to get your worm bin started. Okay. And in addition to that, we also are, um, this will be the first time we're selling bulbs this year. I need some. Uh, my light bulb just went out in, in the laundry room. Bulb Our flower bulbs plant. will bring oh, brightness bulbs. to your life, oh, but not that kind. Nice recovery, Judy. <laughs> um, okay, so what kind of bulbs? Well, they're um, back as a hit from last year, are, are a hit in a good way, um, are species tulips of lots of different colors. Um, well, actually, hyacinths and... There's a gladiola and allium. And Scylla, in the other words, we were having trouble pronouncing. Oh, those, yeah, <laughs> those are some of my favorites. Bro- Brodia. Brode- Brodea. Brodea. Um, and those are all between um, either $5 or $8. And um, this is the, the pre-purchase, pre-order. And then they'll be, be delivered or picked up later in september october we get them directly from the wholesalers from the growers and so when they arrive here in the united states then we will um, do deliveries and pickups and so the master gardeners do cash or check only please and then we also are going to have our vendors and food vendors will have a couple of food trucks chando's tacos which are quite yummy and buckhorn grill that's new this year Mm, from winters okay and um, isn't that amazing? We will have Morning Sun Herb Farm from Vacaville, um, and we'll also have 
Um, and Rose will be selling plants. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, she's always popular with her herbs and, and maybe even some tomato plants. I don't and know. And for people that have to have that cup of coffee in the morning, we're mm. pretty excited. We have Java Johnny's who will be selling coffee drinks at the Hort Center, at the Horticulture Center. And people can buy water as well. And we will have Luciano's Scoop that apparently we're expecting 14 flavors of gelato to be on deck as well. Now, I'm going through the list of educational tables and vendors that will be there, and I'm making notes because since I'm redoing a whole landscape, I've got questions. Like, for example, I'm going to go over to the Delta Bluegrass table and ask them about their no-mow native grasses. And this is new this year. This is the first time they will have been there. I'm going to go over to Dave Wilson Nursery and find out what's the biggest southern highbush blueberry plant as far as berry size. My wife is insisting only big blueberries, no small blueberries. So I want to find out from them which are the biggest blueberries. I'll be asking them about that. I'll go over and talk with Ed at, at Four Winds Growers and say, Ed, I'm going to try an avocado tree. Which one should I try? And uh, So can you have chickens in Folsom? <sighs> My neighbors listen to this show. Okay, because um, we... No, I, I, believe, no I, I have to explain this for my neighbors. No, I'm not getting chickens. Don't worry. Oh, well, because we will have two flew the coop, which is all things chickens, and I believe that they bring a couple of chicken ambassadors to the to Harvest Day, which is kind of fun, too. Now, going to Harvest Day is a good way to save gas money because we have uh, vendors and educational tables from other areas of Northern California come in. For instance, the Haagen-Dazs Honey Bee Haven comes mm-hmm. in from Davis. Uh, if you want to learn about how to attract bees to your garden. And Four Winds Growers, they're from... Um, winters. Winters, mm-hmm. right? And so it's a good uh, good way to hit a lot of businesses and organizations yeah. in a short period of time. I bet my friend Rex from Kellogg Garden Products will be there, and I'm, I'm going to be talking to him about uh, compost materials and things like that. And, uh, yeah, no, there's all sorts of great groups that are going to be there. Uh, You're going to find some interesting uh, things to talk about with the Perennial Plant Club, the Sierra Foothills Rose Society. Uh, I believe you've had a lot of these people uh, as guests on your show. For me, it's like going to a convention. It's gardening who's who. It really really is. And it's not all uh, plants, too. We have new this year is the Barbecue Pro, who does the green eggs. He has a business in Old Town, Fair Oaks, and he'll be coming out and showing us how to use his barbecue. If you say so. Okay. I believe you. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we have five people lined up who say they can name a fruit bush. Are they right? We don't know. We'll find out when we come back. Don't whisper into the microphone. People can hear you. <laughs> it's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. We have five people lined up. Five people who say they can name a fruit bush. A fruit bush. What do I mean by that? Well, you'll find out. Judy McClure, Shannon Gordoner here from the Sacramento County Master Gardeners. Touting Harvest Day at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center next Saturday, August 5th. More information about that. You can click on the link at FarmerFred.com next to their names or visit the Sacramento County uh, Master Gardener uh, Facebook page, which is, what is it? Thank you. 
I'm sorry. It, I was looking at the ant <laughs> called across the counter. It's fa facebook.com slash SACMG. Thank you. All right, SACMG. There you go. And you can get more information there. Or, like I say, click on the link at uh, Farmer Fred. In fact, if you click on the link for today's Garden Grappler, it takes you to a page of the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Thank you. For, for more that. information. So there's that. Cindy and Pilot Hill, go ahead. Give us a uh, fruit bush. How about a pomegranate? Okay, now why would that be a fruit bush? Why not? Multi-trunk. Okay. Multi-trunk. Multi-trunk. Well, yeah, okay. But what would make it a, a fruit bush as opposed to a fruit tree? What would you do to that to make it a fruit bush? The pruning, the way I prune it. I love the way somebody is prodding you in your Yay. ear. But that's a, yeah, that's my husband. He's the one. He's driving. I'm doing the talking. Okay. All right. Well, good. I'd, I'd rather have it that way than another way. Well, Judy, is that right? It is right. And there's a... Non well, there's two kinds of pomegranates. There's the ornamental one that sets fruit, although the flavor is not one that you're going to get excited about. And then there's also the fruiting, edible pomegranate plants, like that, the wonderful, the wonderful, yes, yeah. which is a great, great plant. I'm a I'm a big fan of pomegranates. All right, good answer there, Cindy. So I'll be sending you uh, a new handout from the folks at the University of California Integrated Pest Management. Uh, just updated this past week called Woody Weed Invaders. How you can get rid of uh, um, pernicious weeds in your yard. And what time does the event start next Saturday? It starts at 8 o'clock and goes till 2 o'clock. Perfect. Oh, you're coming? Yay. I am, and I'm bringing my kids that have their own houses now. Oh, exciting. <laughs> you, can, you can look at the website, and you can see when the speakers start and when our mini demonstrations start, and you'll have a fun-filled day. Have you been there before? Once before, a long time ago. All right. Oh, you'll, you'll be surprised at how the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center has grown in the last few years. You're going to have a great time. It's quite the sight, and they'll get good ideas for their own homes, too. Okay, Cindy, we'll see you there. Thank you. All right, thanks. Thanks. All right, so that's caller number one, pomegranate. Good answer as far as a fruit bush. Elizabeth and Elk Grove, why don't you give us a fruit bush as well? I have blueberry. Now, I had, had been online before they started talking about blueberries, but when, in the 50s when I was growing up, my dad couldn't keep me away from our blueberry bushes. We had about 15 of them in our backyard. That's a good answer. Mm-hmm. I like that. So I'll be sending you the Woody Weed Invaders handout from UCIPM as well as from the folks at Our Water, Our World, their handout on the 10 most wanted bugs in your garden. So I'll be sending that your way. And it seems how I just told everybody my age. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good deal. Okay, thank you very much. All right, thanks, Elizabeth. All right. I, I missed that totally. She was right. in the 50s. I, in the 50s. Oh, in the 50s. Yeah. yeah, that's easy to do. But she ate all those blueberries. That's why she's going strong. That's right. Uh, Saul, uh, Saul and Auburn remembers the 50s. Uh, yes, I do. I thought you would. Yes, Saul and Auburn. I bet you're going to be at Harvest Day. Yes, I am. I've been there, oh gosh, for many, many years with the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club. Yeah, exactly. And you'll be at the Perennial Plant Club, Club booth, no doubt. Yes, we have an ed educational table. And, oh. But you're going to have, I bet you're going to bring some samples of uh, uh, perennial plants. Yes, we will. All right. So you'll have plenty of those. And uh, also people who have grown perennials around here for years and years will be there. Yes, they will. Okay. Anybody I know? Uh, 
uh, lots of master gardeners. Okay. Yep. That <laughs> there are and, and Saul, of course. All right, Saul, go ahead. Give us a fruit bush. Uh, how about cranberry? Now, now, I think you're stretching it there. Can we grow cranberries in Sacramento? Yeah, that, that wasn't said, grow in Sacramento. Yeah, no, I did, you're right. Yeah, I, I didn't say that, but no. I don't think a bog plant counts as a bush. All right. Do they actually branch, or are they more of a stalk coming out of the ground? They're, yeah, it's a bog plant. It's, uh-huh. it's, it, they're barely above water level. All right. All right. Can I get a second choice? Sure, go ahead. How about a huckleberry? Sure, I, I don't have a Judy. You have a problem with that? No, I think Huckleberry's fine. And um, Shannon, you want to challenge Saul? No, let's let's do the Huckleberry. Oh, and Huckleberry scones, yum. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, Saul. I'll be sending you stuff. Good. Well, I have lots of questions for Master Gardener, so I'm going to see him at uh, the Harvest Day this coming Saturday. There okay. you go. Yeah, you and me both. Thanks, Saul. Okay, we'll see ya. All right. Bye bye. All right. Let's go down to Merced. Talk with Donna. Donna, go ahead. And give us a, uh, a fruit bush. How about apricot? Love it. If, Wonderful. And as yes. we and in our new definition of fruit bush, it's any tree that's pruned down that you keep at a height no greater than six or seven feet. So folks, if you have a small yard and you want to grow fruit trees and you think I don't have room for fruit trees, I see how they grow out there on farms. No, you don't have to grow them that way. You grow them, you can plant them closer together and you just keep them small by summer pruning. And you keep them at a height, they're six to seven feet. You can space them, what, five, six feet apart? Uh, that's about as close as you'd want to go, yes, unless you're going to do espalier. Right. And and then you can have a lot more varieties in your backyard. Donna, good answer. I'll be sending you the Woody Weed Invaders handout from the UCIPM folks, as well as the 10 most wanted bugs uh, in your garden. Thank you so much. Thanks, Donna. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. And that brings us to caller number five. It's Richard in Oroville. Hi, Richard. Hi. Well, Richard, you just woke me up. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Give us give us a fruit bush that hasn't been mentioned yet. Answers so far have included pomegranate, blueberry, huckleberry, and apricot. Just giving about every kind of fruit tree there is. That's well, pretty neat. All right. Well, go give us a fifth one. How about a pineapple bush? Boy, I think you just stumped three people here. We all dropped our mouths open. Pineapples grow on a tree. Tell you what, Richard. (laughs) Just for being unique. (laughs) Why why don't you say pineapple guava? Well, I do have a guava bush, but because I thought pineapple would be very interesting. I was surprised when I found out they grew on a bush. Well, I thought it, they grew on a tree. Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely, I guess you'd call it, I mean, it's pretty low to the ground. It's almost yeah. like asparagus. I mean, it is a, a, a bromeliad, and uh, it does, but uh, I guess so. Just I guess if you're a midget, it would be a, a bush. But. I would say we could give him the points because he's, intrigued us yes and maybe he meant to say pineapple guava which is a (laughs) is a fabulous landscape shrub or large tree here in sacramento it's drought tolerant beautiful and the flowers and the fruit are edible exactly flowers and fruit are edible and i'm adding it to my list of uh plants that i'm going to put in my own landscape again oh it's a great yeah oh yeah there's old that that produces now richard you're in oroville and, and here's the situation. The prize is the 2018 Gardening Guide and Calendar uh, put out by the Sacramento County Master Gardener. So, Judy, I'll ask you, is the information in here valid for Oroville? It is, because the Gardening Guide and Calendar this year features 
plant parts, stems, seeds, roots, etc. And that is universal no matter where you live in the United States. And some of the um, items in that gardening guide are related to weather. And Oroville and Sacramento, similar yeah, summer Yeah, it's just weather. a little further north. That's right. all. Right. I've got a couple of questions. Um, How about one? I, 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 uh, is, is it, where could we get um, propagation wood for the, those new um, grapevines? Well, at the uh, Ferrox Horticulture Center, we sell great plants that we've propagated from our plants out there. Um, or you can contact a friend of yours that has a grapevine, but I'd recommend you support your local Master Gardener gardening program by visiting us on Harvest Day. Well, I can't come. That's why I'm asking. I I'm, I'm, made previous engagements are going to be up north, but, but I'm very interested in, in, in getting wood. Does UC Davis have the wood? Well, you know who you might check with is your own Butte County Master Gardeners because they do some annual sales out there at Butte College. Okay. And that's so good, check check I, with them. Yeah, I've never seen. I've bought stuff from them. I've never seen uh, new varieties of uh, of grapes still. Now, I'll if you do, if you do want to travel this way in September or October, we do have open gardens at the Ferrox Horticulture Center, and if we have plants remaining, we will sell them at those events. In September. Yes. It'll be what the second Saturday or third Saturday of September. Yes. <laughs> I believe it's the second Saturday in September. Hey, it's well, all about harvest day in my brain you, right now. Or And you can definitely check the website, and it, would, yeah. it will have all that information, too. Oh, you're I've good, one, Shannon. One, one, I've and got the, one other quick question, since you've got so many experts there, Fred. I've got uh, cherry trees seem to be uh, more sensitive to transplants. I've got a neighbor I gave a cherry tree to, and it's been in the ground for two days, and it's, it's starting to uh, lose some leaves on the top. Did you say it's two days? You, you, so you transplanted it just a couple of days ago? Yes. Yeah, in, in, a, in the heat of the summer? In a hundred and whatever. <laughs> that's right. Well, he did it, yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, yeah. oh, shift the blame. Okay. Oh, uh, right. Basically, whenever you're uh, transplanting something where the weather is not conducive to transplanting, you're asking for problems. Mm-hmm. So that's it. The, the better time to have done that would have been in the fall. So don't ever transplant in, in the middle of summer? That's a good piece of advice. So the thing to do now is to be gentle with it. Do not overwater it, but keep the soil moist. You may want to shade the foliage. Uh, make sure you mulch. Uh, and then say nice, kind things to it and, yeah. and hope it pulls through. Fingers crossed. Yeah. But do not okay. fertilize it also until the fall. Do do not put any fertilizer on it right now. Yeah, you don't want to encourage new growth during a a time of stress when temperatures are the way they are now. Right. All righty, thank you. All right, Richard, congratulations and appreciate it. And uh, (laughs) Judy McClure, Shannon Gordon, thank you so much for uh, coming on down to the radio place today and talking about Harvest Day at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center next Saturday, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Thank you, Fred. It's been fun. It has. All right. And for more information, you can click on the link next to their name on today's guest list at FarmerFred.com or visit the SACMG Facebook page. Is that what it is? No, it's not SACMG. Is yes. it SACMG? Yes. It's oh. SACMG.UCANR.EDU. Oh. See, there's all sorts of things. And it, a Facebook page, too. Yes. Right. So anyway, or you just Google Harvest Day, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, and something will pop up. Yeah, yeah I will. Okay. Trust me. I use Google a lot. All right. Judy, Shannon, thank you.
Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Fred. When we come back, we're going to be talking about caring for mature oak trees on your property. It's coming up on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Oaks are a wonderful part of the valley and the foothill landscape, and especially in areas that are dotted with those oaks that have been there for 50 years or 100 years, it makes it a very desirable piece of property to own. Even on smaller lots, there's some old oaks. But a lot of people make some mistakes when it comes to their oak trees. They love them, and sometimes they love them to death. How you doing it? Why are you doing it? How can you stop doing it? That's what we're going to talk about with Heidi Napier. She's an El Dorado County Master Gardener. And Heidi, you've done a lot of presentations about oak trees and preserving oaks and making sure they're healthy. What are some of the most common questions or or queries that you get about, uh, especially in, in El Dorado County, about people who live amongst the oaks? Well, um, I get questions about pruning and landscaping and watering and um, I also get a lot of questions about identifying which which species of oak somebody has in their yard and also some questions about diseases. Actually I should probably mention we had some pretty nasty diseases in some of the native oaks especially the blue oaks and the valley oaks this spring because of the very very wet cool winter and spring and the main problem was powdery mildew which I'm sure everybody who lives around our native oaks has noticed the the leaves instead of being a green or a bright green in the case of the valley oaks and blue green in the case of the blue oaks are kind of silvery and if you look closely at the leaves they have a whitish a whitish deposit, which is the uh, which is the powdery mildew fungus, and it it has a, attacked a lot of our local oaks. But the good thing about these oaks is they are survivors, and there aren't very many diseases that will kill them. They will survive. They survive droughts. They survive floods. They survive powdery mildew, mistletoe, you name it. And um, about the only thing that kills them very effectively as humans, unfortunately. I was going to bring that up, but there's no cure for humans. And when we go and start <laughs> and start landscaping around our oak trees, we make some big mistakes, including probably yes. building and constructing and compacting the soil too close to the oaks because we want to be as close to them as possible. And then you start installing irrigation systems and these trees have never had irrigation systems. And all of a sudden, well, you continue the story, please. Yes. One one thing that I would I like people to do, and I've done this a lot, is take a walk or a bike ride or even a drive through a native oak woodland that does not have any buildings, any pavement, or any irrigation, and take a look at the oaks. What you'll notice is a very full, dense canopy on a healthy oak tree. If you look through the canopy in the summer when it's covered with leaves, you won't see much sky through there. They're very, they're normally very dense. And then take a look at the oak trees in your neighborhood that are in your yard, in your neighbor's yard, along the streets, and you'll notice that they generally don't have that dense, healthy canopy 
that you see in the in the undisturbed woodlands that are the same way they were 150 years ago. So what that tells me is that it's extremely difficult to build housing and really preserve the health of these oak trees. And one thing you got to remember about these trees is they take a long time to die unless you unless you just take a chainsaw to them, they can take an, an insult such as compacting the soil, changing the grade, or overwatering can take 10, 20 years to kill an oak tree. It's a very slow, insidious process because they, they don't go easily. And let's talk about uh, what people try to do to enhance those oak trees as well. They start planting under them. And a lot oh, of the God. times, yes. the, the plants they put in are not compatible with oak trees that have survived for decades with no summer water, just what falls basically during the winter. But there are some plants that you can put sparingly beneath the oak tree and far enough away from the trunk, of course. And maybe we should talk about some of the good things you can do around oaks and maybe some of the uh, plants that are compatible with growing under okay. oak trees. Don't pave under the oak tree. Don't don't put a patio under it. If you want to cover it with something nice to walk on, a deck is fine. You know, just a low deck is fine because it lets water and air through. Um, you can plant some things under oak trees. Some of the best are the native plants because the plants particularly that are native to the um, to the Mediterranean climate uh, parts of uh, California do very well under oak trees and they need, they need little or no summer water. I have some natives in my backyard that I might water once a month during the summer that's and that's all. The other option is to put your plants in um, in containers and raise them off the soil and just be sure that when you water them you don't have gallons and gallons of water dripping through the pot into the soil. And a lot of people think, well, it's okay to plant away from the oak tree just beyond the outer canopy of the tree. But what they don't realize, the roots of that old oak tree can go for twice the diameter of the drip line of that tree. If that if it's from the trunk to the outer canopy of the tree is 20 feet, those roots yeah. might go 40 feet or 50 feet out. That's right. So you don't have to be under the drip line with your irrigation or paving to um, to damage the oak or the root zone of the oak. So roots need oxygen, and they need water, and they need nutri nutrients. And if you pave over them, whether it's asphalt or concrete or build a house over them, you're you're literally starving the roots. And then, of course, overwatering causes it. A, root, a disease, a fungal disease called armillaria root rot. I can recognize it in, in trees. It, it, um, the canopy becomes thinner, the branches are shorter, and you get a lot of what's called um, adventitious leaves. They, they grow very close to the trunk. A normal oak tree doesn't have leaves growing right close to the large branches and trunk. They're out at the periphery of the canopy and if you see a, a tree with with a lot of leaves growing right from the trunk or on the larger branches that's that's a sick tree one thing i want to mention that very few people realize and landscapers especially don't is you really should leave the leave the leaves under the oak tree don't blow them away leave them there because they're a natural mulch 
and as they as they break down, they feed the <laughs> they feed the trees. You know, you want to leave the leaves under the trees. Mulch is great. Mulch, it, yep. it, it moderates yes. the soil temperature. It preserves soil moisture. It keeps the weeds down. And as you say, as it breaks down, if you use an organic mulch, it feeds yes. the soil. So that's a good reason for using the leaves that have fallen. And uh, try to avoid rocks if you can. If you use the large river rocks, they're heavy. They compact the soil. They decrease the amount of air that can get down into the soil. One other thing I'd like to mention, too, is that some of the blue oaks, which are very, very, very drought tolerant, have they have found roots going down 30 feet into the soil and into the rocks looking for water. So that's one of the reasons that these trees can survive six months in the summer with no water. Heidi Napier, El Dorado County Master Gardener, good tips on keeping those oak trees alive. Thanks for your time. Okay, you're very welcome. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right. Thanks for tuning us in today. Appreciate it. By the way, a a word of advice about finding podcasts for this program, as well as the KFBK Garden Show and uh, the KSTE Farm Hour, which airs every Sunday from noon to one o'clock here. Uh, There have been some changes in the way they've uploaded the podcasts. And part of the change has been to slightly change the name of each show, which means that you, as a podcast listener, needs to resubscribe to the shows. I am sorry for this change, but it's, this is the way it's going to work. Because if, if you have a third-party podcast aggregator searching for Get Growing or the KFPK Garden Show or the KSTE Farm Hour, it's probably telling you there hasn't been anything posted since June. When in reality, the July shows are there, but they're under a slightly different name. For example, this program, Get Growing. Under the old name, it was Get Growing with Farmer Fred. That's what your search engine is searching for when it comes to downloading the podcast to your smartphone or your computer. The new name is Get Growing. So resubscribe using the exact term Get Growing. And you'll know it's the new podcast because there'll be a new picture of me there that you've never seen before of me in a blue shirt. The KFBK Garden Show is now simply KFBK Garden Show. There is no word the. It's not the KFBK Garden Show. It's just KFBK Garden Show. And the KSTE Farm Hour with Farmer Fred is now KSTE Farm Hour. Just those three words, if KSTE is a word. So KSTE Farm Hour. So in order to pick up those podcasts, you need to resubscribe using those exact titles. All right. And, of course, uh, you can find uh, the garden shows as well at kste.com and kfbk.com. That's right, Brooks, isn't it? Yes. Okay, good. All right. Back to the phones we go. Let's answer some more garden questions here. Up to Lincoln we go and Zella. Zella, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, we have put, put down the, the plastic on the 8th of this month. He did a real good job, and the sun was doing its job so thoroughly that on Monday of this last week, it all blew away, and it ended ended up in the trash. (laughs) 
So what do I do now with the lawn? Do I wet it down again and put more plastic down? And we're talking about clear plastic, correct? Correct. It was okay. four mil. All right. Okay. Yeah. Now that can happen when it gets windy. And so how many weeks was it down? It was down exactly 16 days. Oh, well, yeah, that's not enough. It needs to be down at least four to six weeks. Right. So what you need to do, you're absolutely right. I would water that area again and then put down new uh, plastic and then be sure to secure the edges so that no air can get underneath it. And that may be what happened before air was able to sneak in underneath it. And uh, basically the wind picked it up and carried it away. Exactly. And it's, it's good to use some, like, landscape bobby pins to hold it down in place at various locations, too. Well, the gardener said, you buy the plastic and I'll supply the pins. So the gardener got the right pins, I'm sure. Okay. But, yeah, no, that happens. I mean, it's it, unfortunately, to find a UV-resistant clear plastic is it's usually only available in agricultural quantities. In other words, you'd have enough to cover a football field. I see. And so it's it's easier just to go to the big box store and buy a roll of the clear plastic that they sell as paint cloth, basically, uh-huh. and use that. And if you, and there's usually enough in there that if you have to repeat the process because it gets torn or blows away, you can put down another uh, layer. Okay, but we wet it down first, then. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, wet it down yet, and you've got a great week coming up for uh, for solarization, so go for it. Okay, very good. All right, thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. I think we have time for one more question. Let's go over to San Francisco and talk with Gloria. Welcome to the program, Gloria. Welcome. Thank you. This is my first time calling. I You mentioned recently some wire that you could wrap around uh, the foot of the tree to keep uh, uh, rats and things off the tree, and it's sold by the foot. And I'm sorry I didn't get the, the full information at the time. Oh, are you confusing me with Bob Tannum? No. Okay. Now, I don't recall uh, talking about wrapping a wire around a tree. That doesn't... Well, I mean, a wire that's sold by the foot. Uh, You know, normally you have to buy a whole big roll and all. Yeah. But uh, we have a problem, and even though I've put out the oatmeal and the plaster of Paris and everything, they keep coming back for more. (laughs) And, and, uh, but I I can't get rid of them. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to remember who mentioned that, because it sure wasn't me. Huh. Um, yeah, that's, this is interesting. I'm going to have to do some research on this and, and figure out where this is, is coming from. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I, so the wire would be to stop the rats from climbing the tree? Well, I mean, you tree? just wrap it around so that they can't get near the tree, you know. Okay. I have a, a piece of old wire that I've had there for years, but it, obviously it's not enough. <laughs> what you may want to try is chicken wire and wrap that around a couple of times loosely around the trunk of the tree, uh-huh. and that could keep them from chewing on the bark. Is that what you're trying to accomplish? Well, they're doing here? a little bit of that now, which they've never done before. You yeah. know, before we've had it, uh, I've cut branches from other trees or had them cut so that they can't jump over. But uh, it's really getting to be a problem. Now, are we talking rats or squirrels here? No, I'm sure it's rats. In fact, okay. uh, the, the man that lives downstairs saw a couple of rats on the fence. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they gave our mayor a, a nice increase in salary, but they don't do anything about the problems that should be taken care of. Well, yeah, boy, ain't that the truth. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to do some research on that and see what uh, sort of wire uh, system would work best if to keep rats yeah. from climbing well, a tree. Do, will they sell a chicken wire by the foot? I mean, most of the time you have to buy the whole roll. Yeah, generally speaking, you would have to buy a small roll, but they do make small rolls. Oh, and so you may try that. Uh-huh. 
Okay. But and, I, I'm telling you, it's really, really a problem this year more than ever yeah. before. Okay. Yeah, I'll do a little research on that and see what I can come up with. All right. Thank you very much. All right, much. Gloria. Thanks for calling mm-hmm. in. Appreciate Bye-bye. that. Uh, hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm befuddled. Well, what else is new? Well, I tell you what, if you stay tuned for the KSTE Farm Hour, I won't be befuddled anymore. We're going to be talking about a big new overseas market opening up for California rice growers. It's China. Also, the story of a California farmer who's battling for his rights to plow his own land and the court case against the federal government that's trying to stop him and fine him millions of dollars. Yeah, that's ongoing as well. And that's all coming up on the KSTE Farm Hour next from noon to one o'clock on this very radio station. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your support. We'll do it all again next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, right here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Bye-bye.